Welcome to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church. For more information on Sherwood or Pastor Michael Catt, visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. And now, here's Pastor Michael Catt. We're in a series on the fruit of the Spirit. We're down to the last two, gentleness and self-control. We'll look at gentleness today. I want to divert here for a moment and... uh, mentioned something that I found to be very curious in the way the world looks at things and the way that God's people look at things. November of 1963, two very significant people died on the same day, John Kennedy and C.S. Lewis. John Kennedy, the President of the United States, C.S. Lewis, a converted agnostic who was probably one of the greatest minds in the history of Christianity. Nobody knows that C.S. Lewis died that day. Forgotten, seldom remembered, and yet one of the great authors and writers and thinkers of Christianity. This week, people have spent $60 million to throw flowers on the ground Princess Diana. On Friday before her funeral, Mother Teresa died, who has spent her life getting on the ground with lepers and people who would we would consider the worst cases of society. I heard an interview this morning with one of the cardinals And he was asked to describe Mother Teresa. He said, I was in a meeting one time with her, and she said to me, do you want to see Jesus? And he said, yes. She said, he's here. And he said, where is he? He said, well, just wait, and we'll go out back, and I'll show you. And he said, I went out back with her. This was 20 years ago. He said, I went out back with her, and there was a man laying on the ground that was as filthy as any man I had ever seen. And there were things crawling all over his skin. And she reached down and she picked that man up and embraced him and held him up against her. And she said, this is him. This is Jesus. And he said, I don't understand. And Mother Teresa said, didn't he say, when you've done it, to the least of these, you've done it unto me. I don't know what kind of outpouring of worldwide grief there will be over Mother Teresa. And I do not have the ability to judge the spiritual condition of any person. But I can tell you this. I've got a hunch that the entrance to glory was a glorious experience for C.S. Lewis and Mother Teresa. And I'll tell you this. It doesn't matter who you are or who you think you are. It doesn't matter how many people show up at your funeral. It doesn't matter how many bouquets are tossed in your direction. By the time the funeral is there, you're either in heaven or hell. And nothing anybody says can change that because that is determined on this side of the grave. 
what we do with Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ is in us, then there is evidence of that in what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. Now, fruit is used a number of ways in the New Testament. It's, it's used as fruit of the life and the, the fruit that's supposed to be a part of our life. And we are to bear fruit in John 15. It talks about the fruit of souls. But this is the fruit, the nature, the characteristics of Christ that come out of us that people see on display. It is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, living inside of us. And there are nine. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Gentleness is a characteristic that, quite honestly, our society doesn't think much of. If you went to a leadership and management section in a bookstore and looked for books on gentle approaches to leadership, you wouldn't find any. Because gentleness is also the word meekness. And we think meekness is weakness. And we think a person who is gentle is a person who has no gumption. And the opposite is true. Now the world says if you want to lead, you get ahead. You win by intimidation. It's the power of persuasion. It's the closing of the deal. It's swimming with the sharks. In fact, one author, in making reference to gentleness, said this, I believe the concept of gentleness is impractical, naive, and stupid. I don't. I think the concept of gentleness is the concept of being Christ-like. It is power under control. The best way I know to define gentleness is to say that gentleness is power under control. It means you have the ability to do something, but you choose not to do it. Or you choose to exercise it within boundaries and parameters. An illustration of that would be the difference between a river and a swamp. A swamp oozes. A river flows. A swamp has no boundaries. A river has defined boundaries. And when that river flows within those boundaries, there is great productivity that can come because of that river. Gentleness is like a river, not like a swamp. It's not something that oozes. It's something that flows. It has power to it. It is power under control. Now, what are we going to talk about when we talk about gentleness? Well, first of all, we talk about the fact that we've defined it as power under control. Secondly, it's determined by our faith in the sovereignty of God. You see, you will not exercise gentleness. You will not allow that trait of the Holy Spirit to be evident in your life if you don't believe in the sovereignty of God. You and I must come to the conclusion, whether you understand it or not, that everything that comes from the hand of man has filtered through the will of God. That God has allowed it, he has orchestrated it, or he has performed it. God's permissive will has allowed that thing to take place in your life, and you have to believe in the sovereignty of God, because if you don't, you'll react in your flesh. You'll respond according to your own energies and your own assumptions. Believing in the sovereignty of God means that everything is by, from, and to Him. And so when I believe in the sovereignty of God, then I don't yield to weakness. Weakness gives in to what I want to do. It yields to temptation. It yields to sin. It yields to the circumstances. Meekness 
takes life under the control of the Spirit and allows God to take control knowing that what happens in my life, He is going to extract from it the maximum good and the maximum glory from that situation. Let me tell you, if I didn't believe that, I'd quit. If I didn't believe that God takes situations and extracts from them the maximum good and the maximum glory, that I would walk around totally dazed and confused. But because I believe in that, I believe that God in His time does all things, and as Ron Dunn says, He does them quite well. God does all things well. So it is a de depending on a faith in the sovereignty of God. Secondly, it's demonstrated in how we act. Now, there is a word that is associated with, with gentleness that really you don't think about when you think about gentleness, and it is appropriate anger. Gentleness is appropriate anger. There are right times and right ways to be angry. Ephesians chapter 4 says, Be angry and sin not. How do you be angry and sin not? Well, that's kind of tough, isn't it? Being angry and not sinning is being angry at the right occasion with the right people at the right time for the right length of time. It's not just being angry, it's letting that anger stay within the boundaries of what's acceptable to God. Be angry and sin not. Now let me ask you to turn to Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12, Numbers 16, and Luke 19 are the passages that we're going to look at. There's an appropriate and there's an inappropriate response of anger. Numbers chapter 12, this is when uh, the brother and sister of Moses were questioning Moses' leadership. They were, you, you, can you imagine, can, can, you, can you just, I mean, I've tried to think about this, Moses having his brother and sister with him. You, you ever thought about the sibling rivalry that was going on there? Aaron and Miriam? Well, Moses, you never were really good as a kid. You know, you're just a spoiled little brat racing Pharaoh's house. You know, who do you think you are to lead us? Who do you think you are? You know, Moses said, we were the ones out there making bricks without straw, and we were the ones out there suffering and sacrificing while you were just prancing around in your little chariot showing off how big you were. Who do you think you are? And so in Numbers chapter 12, they get out of Egypt, and they start to rebel. Verse 1. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. Now, let me tell you something. Anytime anybody starts attacking your family, it's hard to be gentle. You know, say anything you want about me, but don't kick my dog and don't talk about my family. I mean, that's the American code, you know. We don't want anybody talking about our family. So they were criticizing him because of the woman he had married. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. Now notice verse 3. Now the man Moses was very humble, or meek, same word, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. What do you do? First of all, we are to be gentle in the face of opposition. Now if you have any leadership at all, if you're over anything, if you're in charge of anything in your business, if you have anybody working under you, if you have a leadership position in a church, if you are breathing, did I cover everybody? Okay. If you're breathing, you're going to do something that someone, somewhere, sometime is going to say, I don't like that. Mostly it will be your wife. 
You have to be gentle in the face of opposition. You know, these, this brother and sister, you know, who died and made you king? You know, who put you in charge, Moses? So first thing, you have to be gentle in the face of opposition. Number two, verses five through eight, and suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam, you three come out of the tent of meeting. Now, boy, that's what you call getting called to the principal's office right there. So the three of them came out. Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly, and not in dark sayings, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, my, against Moses? Second thing, gentleness, trust in God to reveal the truth. Gentleness, trust in God to reveal the truth. I told the young people at the early service, so you know, there's, no, there, there's really nothing more cruel than middle school and high school. I mean, let's face it. Anybody really want to go back and relive that? I don't. There's, there's nothing more cruel. You know, you know what happens in middle school and high school? Somebody says, well, you know, I heard, you know what I heard? I heard, and then that kid's reputation is blown in that whole school. Now, what is the adolescent response to that? Well, let me tell you what she did. And we go back and forth. Here's what mature gentleness does. Mature gentleness waits on God to bring the truth to light. That's what gentleness does. Gentleness doesn't try to argue its point. Gentleness waits on God to bring the truth to light. You see, Moses could have said, now wait a minute, let me just tell you how God and I get along. He let God do it. And one of the things you and I have to do if we're going to walk in the fruit of the Spirit is we have to wait on God to do things in His time. It is important that we don't get ahead of God and try to be our own defense attorneys and not let God have the right to do what He's going to do. Now, third thing. Gentleness is gentle in the face of opposition. It lets God reveal the truth. Number three, it is revealed in how we respond when God judges, verses 9 through 13. How we respond when God judges. Now, I tell you, let, let, me, let me tell you how we respond when God judges. Yes! Yes! Smoke them, God. Put them under. Bury them. Get them, God. Crunch time. <laughs> Boy, I'm so glad we serve a God that knows how to take names and get some things done. <laughs> Is that what Moses did? No. Miriam got leprosy. Moses didn't go to the hospital and say, Serves you right, sis. Smart mouth me, will you? God strike you with leprosy. He didn't turn to Aaron, who was foolishness, who said Aaron realized the foolishness of his sin. He said, well, Aaron, I got news for you, son. I've asked God to just wipe you out because I'm sick of you and you always picking on me. You picked on me when we were five years old and you picked on me when I was growing up and I'm sick of you picking on me and now I want God to just take care of you. What did Moses do? He prayed. He prayed for God to heal Miriam. He prayed for his brother and sister. He prayed for them. Instead of pointing the finger, he bent his knee. What is the appropriate response of gentleness? When judgment comes, when something happens to somebody else, you don't say, well, I told you so. 
You know, that's the way it was. What you do is you say, God, act in grace in their lives. Do what brings your good and your glory in their lives. You see, gentleness stays within the banks. It doesn't try to overflow and flood somebody out and bring undue harm on them. Now, Korah's Rebellion, number 16, there's a different thing here. You see, gentleness is gentle in the face of opposition, but in number 16, there's something else going on. Korah's Rebellion is a different story. In Korah's Rebellion, they question God's leadership, they question God's plan, they question God's purpose, and they came to Moses and they began to complain. And all of number 16 is about Korah's Rebellion. Now, here's the principle and the truth behind that. Moses prayed for judgment to fall on them. Why? Numbers 12, it was about Moses. And Moses said, God, don't judge them for what they've done to me. Number 16, it's about the will of God. And Moses says, God, anything that stands in the way of your plan and your purpose, you deal with it. You see, gentleness doesn't roll over and play dead. Gentleness and meekness stands firm when God's honor and God's glory and God's will is challenged. That's why there come points when the church has to take a stand against things that are going on in society because it is a threat and a violation of the will of God for mankind. And so God's people have to stand and say, you know, you can say what you want to say about us as a person, but you can't attack God. And so Moses stood for the character of God. He stood for those things that were the ordained purpose of God for man. That's where you stand. When it affects you, go the second mile, pray for grace. When it affects the glory of God, stand strong. Number three, Jesus cleansing the temple. Luke chapter 19 and verse 45. I want you to see this because this is very important. There is no passage that says how much God loves Gentiles more than this passage. And really, it's kind of lost in the story. Jesus was angry. He went to the temple, and he was angry about what he saw, what he found out. And yet Jesus didn't sin, did he? So you can be angry and sin not. Jesus exemplified that in his own life. So Luke 19 and verse 45, And he entered the temple and began to cast out those who were selling, saying to them, It is written, And my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it into a robber's den. Now, this is appropriate anger because they were violating the purpose of the temple. The outer court, the court of the Gentiles, was where they were selling this merchandise. And what they were doing was they were taking the place, the only place that if you and I had been alive in that day, that we could have gone and prayed to Jehovah God, they were taking the only place of prayer for a Gentile and turned it into a shopping mall. And Jesus said, this place, my house, is to be a place where people can come and pray. And Jesus got angry because they were selling and buying and bartering, providing a service. It was a good service in the wrong place. They were providing something that hindered worship and hindered prayer. And so Jesus got angry with them. This tells me something else about gentleness. 
Gentleness stands up for the truth even when it's not popular. Gentleness stands up for the truth even when it's not popular. Jesus said, hey, I know you guys have been doing this. I know you got a sweet deal. I know this is going for you, but I'm angry because my father set this court aside for something different than what you're letting happen here. Jesus got angry for the right reasons. There's appropriate anger. Now, there are appropriate responses. We won't take time to look at it, but Psalm 37, if, you, uh, if you'll read that, and the outline's all right there, so I won't even take time to cover it right now. I just want to circle verse 2. Give God time to work. An appropriate response with gentleness is you give God time to work. And somewhere about verse 8, he says it again. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently on him. Verse 6 or 7 or 8, one of those. He says it again. Wait patiently on him. Trust in the Lord. Now, if you want a real good study on Psalm 37, Ron Dunn did a study about five years ago on Psalm 37 called When the Upright Get Up Tight. We've got it in our tape ministry, and I'd encourage you to get it because it's a great study about resting in the Lord and waiting on the Lord, keeping your gentleness within its banks. But you've got to give God time to work. One of the reasons that patience is a fruit of the Spirit is because we're impatient and we want God to do it now. We want God to answer our prayer now. We want God to, to deal with the situation now. We want God to do it right this moment. But you see, God's delays are purposeful. God has a reason why he waits. It's because he's got a situation that he's dealing with, but also because he's got something he wants to teach you. If God delays in a situation, and it's a situation that's upsetting to you, then let me encourage you to do one thing. Realize that God's got something he's still trying to teach you. Something that he wants to say to you. Something that's directed at you, and until you get it, it's going to stay that way. Because God's trying to teach you something. Now, how do we exercise gentleness? Number one, in situations beyond our control. Now, I don't know about you, but I've, dis I've discovered something. I cannot control things. I cannot control circumstances. I cannot control people. I can't control one thing, me. I can't control what anybody else does. I've got teenagers. I certainly can't control them. You can't control what anybody else. Now, you can influence and you can try to impact. You can even intimidate if you want to, but ultimately, you cannot control anybody else. The only person that you have control over is yourself by allowing the Spirit to control you. Any situation you walk into, quite honestly, you're out of control. And one of the things that God tries to teach us in breaking us and molding us into his image is to teach us how little control we actually have over our lives. And so God wants us to exercise gentleness in situations that are out of our control, that we just don't let go. General Patton said, never fight a battle, you won't gain anything by winning. <laughs> I like the way Vance Havner said it better. Bulldog can whip a skunk, but it's not worth it. Man, you stink. Yeah, but I won. Whew. Nobody can get within three miles of me, but I won. You see, folks, there comes a time, James says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, 
unwavering without hypocrisy. So we exercise gentleness in how we respond to situations beyond our control. Secondly, in how we respond when we're wrong. Well, I've never been wrong. <laughs> well, you're wrong when you said that, you know. <laughs> I had a professor in college who said he hadn't sinned in five years. I raised my hand and said, does that include lying? <laughs> he didn't like me. <laughs> what do you do when you're wrong, when you're corrected? Let me just give you the verse, Proverbs 13, 18. Whoever heeds correction is honored. Whoever heeds correction is honored. Now, how can you endure when you're wrong and when you're corrected? Here's how. First of all, you believe in the sovereignty of God. Secondly, you're willing to submit yourself to the will of God. God must have allowed this in my life for some reason. There's something that's trying to hem me in and correct me, so I need to allow this to happen in my life. Thirdly, you have a teachable spirit. A teachable spirit means I don't know everything. I don't have all the answers. I don't even know all the questions. I'm not sure about everything, and the more I know, the more I realize I don't know. So I have a teachable spirit. Do you have a teachable spirit? Can somebody help you in your life with what's going on in your life? You have a teachable spirit? You're submitted to the will of God? I use my ears more than my mouth. That's why God gave me two of these and one of these. Now remember, gentleness is appropriate anger at the right time for the right length of time addressed to the right people at the right occasion? Do I listen more than I speak? It's hard for us when we are wrong or when we are corrected to say, yeah, but, but, yeah, yeah, but, 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 you, but, you, but you don't know what they did to me. You know what that is? That's never growing up. You did that when you were five years old. Jim, Jimmy slapped me, Jimmy said, he slapped me first. He, he kicked dirt on my shoes. He kicked dirt on my shoes first. He first. He was first. And a lot of people live as adults like five-year-olds. I want to tell you, the most frightening thought I've ever had was I had a dream one time that everybody came to church dressed according to their level of spiritual maturity. There were 60-year-olds in diapers. And, I mean, it just was frightening, you know. Pacifiers going everywhere. I mean, it was unbelievable. How do you act when you're wronged and when you're corrected? You don't make a conditional confession. Conditional confessions aren't a confession. Yeah, I was wrong, but... You see, the person you're responsible for is yourself. Doesn't matter what the other person did. That was the difference between Saul and David. Saul said, the people made me do it. I was just responding to the people. David said, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done what is evil in thy sight. Saul tried to place the blame and shove the blame on somebody else. David said, my fault. I looked at Bathsheba. I ordered her husband to be killed. My fault. I'm to blame. I suffer the consequences. I was wrong. Saul never said that. That's why God used David like he could never use Saul. And so, 
we come to number three, which is accepting God's authority. That just simply means that I just believe that God's in control. If I have gentleness in my life, I accept the fact that God's in control and I'm under his authority. It's a reigning in. Remember, be angry and sin not. It's a domestic illustration. It's about a bit in a horse's mouth. And with that bit, the passions and the power of that massive animal are controlled by the master. You see, God wants to rein me in. Reign in my passions and my power under his control and under his authority so he is in control of my life. Number four, in rejecting bitterness. Hebrews chapter 12. I want to ask you to turn to Hebrews 12. Boy, y'all are listening slow this morning. Hebrews 12. We're just about through. In fact, if you just get your notes out, I'm going to give you the last three points now and then I'm going to camp on Hebrews 12. Okay, so I'm just going to give you the last ones. For those of you, some of you panic when you don't get all the blanks filled in. And you get all the O's and the B's and the A's colored in, but you don't get the blanks all filled in. So I'm going to, there's a place of rebuke, that's number one. Responding to wrong in the right way. There's a place of rebuke, that's 1 Corinthians 4.21. There's a goal of restoration. Whatever you do, your goal has to be restoration, Galatians 6.1. And there's a desire for reconciliation, 2 Timothy 2.25. It means that in gentleness, people can walk hand in hand without seeing eye to eye. It means you can walk hand in hand without seeing eye to eye. Now let me ask you something, men. Do you and your wife see eye to eye on everything? And all because I tell her what to do. They're going to put dummy on your tombstone after she kills you. <laughs> you see, you can walk hand in hand without seeing eye to eye. That's what Psalm 37 tells us. You just wait. Give God time to work. But it's rebuke, restoration, reconciliation. Now go to Hebrews 12 and verse 15. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up does two things. Causes trouble, that's number one, and by it many be defiled, that's number two. Two things happen if a root of bitterness springs up in us. It causes trouble and many people are defiled. Now, if I am bitter, then I am admitting that I don't trust the sovereignty of God because I don't believe God's allowed this, and so I get angry about it. I don't believe that God's going to work all things together for my good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So I get bitter about it. And a root springs up. And you know what happens if there's a root, the root springs up and then there's fruit. And bitterness does more damage on the life in which it's stored than the life on which it is poured. Now, here's what happens. Two things happen. First of all, it causes trouble. And secondly, by it, many are defiled. Bitterness causes trouble in a family. It causes trouble in a marriage. It causes trouble between teenagers and parents. It causes trouble in a business. It causes trouble in a church. Many are defiled. That means that nobody, listen, nobody is bitter in isolation. If you're bitter, other people are defiled by your bitterness. It's your husband 
It's your wife. It's your children. It's your family. It's your employees. It's your employer. It's your church family. But none of us are bitter in isolation because as the bitterness grows, it spreads. Now, I believe that bitterness is a major problem in the church in America today because we've not done a good job of preaching and teaching repentance. And so people begin to hold things in. And you see people in counseling sessions and they're going back and they go back and they go back and they go back and all of a sudden it's something that happened to them when they were five years old and they never let go of it. They never dealt with it. They never responded to it appropriately and they began to get bitter. That's why husbands and wives need to communicate because if you don't communicate, something happens and you just get a little tick at your spouse and you go, you know, I don't like that. And you don't talk about it and it happens again. You know, I, I really don't like that. And then it happens again. You know, that just really bothers me. And all of a sudden, bitterness begins to build up and then you're not communicating as a husband and a wife. It happens in all kinds of relationships. You see it in people in all kinds of ways. Bitter because some coach didn't let them be on a team. Bitter because they got beat out as valedictorian. Bitter because somebody fired them somewhere along the line. Bitter because something happened in their life. Somebody said something to them. Somebody hurt them. Somebody offended them. And I mean, all kinds of things begin to happen, and bitterness begins to rise up. What does gentleness do? If it's addressed to the will and purpose of God, you respond. If it's something that you've taken on yourself, you let it go. You see, bitterness is a dangerous thing because here's what happens. When we get bitter, we stop communicating. We stop communicating with God. We stop communicating with one another. When we get bitter, we quit serving. We quit God. We quit serving the church. We quit serving other people. We start looking out for ourselves. Only thing we care about, what's going to happen to me? And meism and being me-centered is a direct result of people who are bitter who said, you know, I got hurt one time and I'm never going to be hurt again. You're not, never going to do that to me again. I watched a man this morning on television. I was watching it while the uh, early Sunday school was going on. You know, sometimes you check out the competition to see what they're doing. And this was a church in Florida. So uh, I was watching this service and they had four men on the platform sharing about different things. And one man was up there and he was confessing some things in his life that were wrong. And here's what he said. He said, I had the spirit of disagreement. And he said, I was wrong. He said, I quit my ministry. I quit doing what I was supposed to be doing. I got mad at the elders of the church. I got mad at the pastor. I went to another church for three months. I did all these things. And he said, I was wrong. And he said, I got confronted by my 16-year-old son. He challenged me on that. With tears running down his eyes, he said, I want to ask this church to forgive me for a root of bitterness and forgive me for just feeling like I had to have my way. And I watch that congregation in that church. I don't even know the name of the church. I don't know where it is. But I watch that congregation explode in applause. As that man began to embrace the elders of the church and he began to embrace the pastor of the church and as he began to embrace his family members, 
I saw something happen in that moment. I said, there's a man that's been set free. Now let me ask you something. What is it that's got its roots around your heart that has so entangled itself around you it could be a situation, it could be a person, it could be an issue, it could be any number of things. What is it that's so entangled itself around you that the life is being squeezed out of you? That there's no joy left. The peace that passes all understanding is gone because bitterness has begun to take root. You can no longer enjoy the fellowship of the family of faith. You don't even enjoy your family. You don't enjoy anything. Everything has become so focused on what it is that's got you upset. Some of you, it's because parents gave you up for adoption. Some of you, it's because your dad walked out on you when you were a kid. Some of you, it may be because sibling rivalries and you thought your brother or your sister got more than you did and life wasn't fair. Some of you, it's because you lost a job. I don't know what it is, but the Holy Spirit, if you're listening to him, is speaking to you right now and he's saying, there's where the root is and you need to pull it all up right by its roots. And when you do that, I'm going to promise you something. You are set absolutely free from anybody but God having power over you. But as long as you have bitterness, let me tell you two things. Number one, probably the people you're bitter at don't even know you're bitter because you've tried to hide it so much. But they have power over you that they have no right to have over you because the only person that's supposed to have power over you is the Holy Spirit. And as long as anybody or anything or any circumstance dominates you, you're embraced by bitterness instead of being embraced by the cross. And God wants to set you free today from all that stuff and give you a life of gentleness in response. Thanks for listening to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church and Pastor Michael Kett. For more information about Sherwood, you can visit our website at sherwoodbaptist.net. If you live or visit in the Albany area, we invite you to worship with us here at Sherwood. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day.